0: This morning, we have a remarkable account of the life and reign of King Manasseh, the son of the good king, Hezekiah. Manasseh was notorious for the evil they had done. Nevertheless, God transformed the person and character of Manasseh. We'll be using as our text this morning, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, instead of 2 Kings, For it provides us with a fuller and richer account of the life of Manasseh than that which is found in 2 Kings. Most significantly, we find in 2 Chronicles the repentance of Manasseh, which is not recorded in 2 Kings chapter 20. So the theme this morning is that in the portion of Scripture we're going to consider together, we learn wonderful lessons about true repentance, wonderful lessons about true repentance, And as we begin the narrative, the first thing that we want to notice is the need for true repentance, Manasseh's need for true repentance. Manasseh needed to repent because his person and character were unacceptable to God. Notice verses 1 and 2. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Then we have this summary statement, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So God considered the actions and character of Manasseh to be morally irrehensible, and they were totally unacceptable to God. He needed to repent. Next, we find that Manasseh needed to repent because he had done that which for others were judged. Look at verse 2, it says he did evil what the side of the Lord, and now we have this in addition, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So we find that God had already demonstrated his judgment against those who do the kinds of things that Manasseh had done by causing those who originally inhabited the land to be driven out and Israel was able to take over that possession. Now we find that Manasseh is doing the very same things for which God had driven out the inhabitants of the land previously. Therefore, it should be readily understood that Manasseh's actions and character were worthy of judgment, and in particular, that he and the nation would be driven out of the land just as those who had occupied the land previously. Thirdly, Manasseh needed to repent because he'd rejected the godly example of his father, King Hezekiah. We find out that Manasseh undid all the reforms that his father Hezekiah had made, verse 3, for he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. You remember Hezekiah was a very godly king. In fact, the scripture refers to Hezekiah as being a king like no other in the way in which he trusted the Lord. And Hezekiah had done many, many reforms in the nation of Israel. There had been great, great commitments that were manifest in his lifetime. But Manasseh undid all the reforms that his father had made. It tells us in verse 3, he rebuilt the high places that his father, Hezekiah, had broken down. (laughs) How sad it is when people have a religious and moral upbringing and then turn their back on that faith. That's exactly what Manasseh had done. Manasseh knew better. It was not the way in which he was raised. It was not the way in which he was instructed, and he had an example of a godly father, and yet Manasseh turns his back on all of that religious background and upbringing. So, too, many who have a religious background and a very godly upbringing, unfortunately, turn their back on the things of God and Stand in need of repentance. Next, we find out that Manasseh needed to repent because of the false worship that he practiced. Manasseh was a religious person, but his religious acts and worship were unacceptable, verse 3. It tells us in the middle of verse 3 that he erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Even though he was very religious and was very active in promoting religion, unfortunately, it was the worship of false gods. It was not the true worship of the God of heaven, the true and living God. And as a result, that worship was unacceptable. It needed to be repented of. So, too, we must understand, especially in our day of pluralism, that we understand that not all religions, in fact, worship the same God. Buddha,
1: Allah, and Jehovah
0: are not the same God. It is Christianity and Christianity alone that worships the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is true worship. And the worship of God in any other name or any other form is just as unacceptable today as the idols that were erected by Manasseh in his day. God doesn't give brownie points. He doesn't give participation certificates for simply going to a house of worship. It must be worship in spirit and in truth. And so he was in need of repentance. We find out that he not only provided the avenue of false worship, but he himself participated in that false worship. Or it tells us very specifically in verse 3 that he worshiped all the host of heaven, not only that he worshiped them, but he, he served them. Uh, he was at their beck and call, if you were. He was promoting false worship instead of the true worship of God. Next, we find out that Manasseh needed to repent because he not only ab- abandoned the worship of God, but he blasphemously defiled the temple of God. Verse 4. And he built altars in the house of the Lord. Verse 5. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now, picture this that in the very temple and its courts, that edifice that was set aside for the worship. Of God, he was so brazen, he was so bold, he was so callous, he was so wicked that he actually erected idols to be worshiped in the very place that was dedicated, consecrated to the worship of the true and holy God. You know, it would be really a terrible thing. If worship would no longer take place in this facility, this beautiful church that has been built, this wonderful sanctuary, if it were just abandoned and was replaced by a mall with a bunch of little boutiques, you know, that'd be really sad. And unfortunately, you see that time and time again, especially as you reach the New England area as you look at these beautiful, small, pristine buildings that once housed the the true worship of God uh, by the Puritans that are now, many of them, stores that sell antiques or there are history museums or all kinds of things, but they're, they're not used for the house of God for worship. All right, that's bad enough. But just imagine if this congregation were replaced by a group of Satanists, people who followed the evil one, and from this pulpit, instead of preaching the word of God, they would be casting spells or enchantments or in some other devious and hideous ways would be promoting the very worship of Satan. That's what he did. He defiled the temple by introducing the worship of false gods, which, in essence, is satanic worship. Next, we find that Manasseh needed to repent because he engaged in hideous acts in false worship, the terrible depths to which Manasseh sank. Verse 6. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of of what a difference in the worship of Hezekiah and the false worship of Manasseh. This Manasseh had been brought up in a godly home where he had been treated with favor and kindness and goodness and where he was instructed and was intended to be the godly king, that he rejects that instruction. But notice the house of Manasseh. Notice where his love for his sons
1: was found or not found. He offers them in sacrifice to these false gods.
0: Today, There is not much human sacrifice that is practiced. Certainly not in the United States. But there is the act of abortion in which the unborn are sacrificed on the altar of self. Where people do end
1: the lives of their unborn. Or there are other things that are more important to them. in the life of that unborn child.
0: Manasseh needed to repent because he sought illegitimate forms of divine guidance. See a progression here. And in verse 6 it says, not only did he burn his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, but now we get some insight as to how such a thing could take place Says, and used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He used all kinds of mediums, all kinds of sources to seek to ascertain truth. He was looking for divine guidance and wisdom and instruction. He was wanting to know about the future and how to live his life and how he was to conduct his affairs and what would happen in the offing concerning his kingdom. And so all of these different forms are given to us of fortune-telling, we know what that is, of of omens, looking for signs, for sorcery, uh, people who are practicing witchcraft, He dealt with mediums, those people that were seeking to speak to the dead, and necromancers, people that would actually look at the entrails of of animals and and try to depict what was meant by those, those entrails. Today, we have people that instead of seeking the word of God, Look to horoscopes. There are those that consult spiritual guides. There are people today who present themselves as mediums, who say that they can talk to the dead, that they can conjure your father, your great-grandfather, or people of renown. There are people that use tarot cards, those that use
1: Ouija boards. And then there is just
0: the idea of authority figures who, because of experience or because of educational training and background, are seen as better resources for governing one's life and making life's decisions than the Word of God. Better to go to so-and-so than to consult the Archaic scriptures. Who would really want to rear their children by the instruction and admonition of the Lord when we can have Dr. So-and-so tell us the better ways to rear our children?
1: Not only did he seek
0: illegitimate forms of divine guidance but Manasseh needed to repent because he rejected the rebuke that came from God's word. Verse 10 The Lord spoke to Manasseh
1: and to the people
0: and then we have these sad words but they paid no attention. They paid no attention. He listened to the mediums He listened to the necromancers. He listened to those that were providing him false guidance, but he refused to listen to the word of God. So he was in need of repentance, as there are many today that will listen to so many voices, but they won't listen to the voice of Scripture. They won't listen to the authority of of God's word. So Manasseh needed to repent because he was on a sure course for judgment. Starting at verse 7. And the carved images of the idol that he had made to set in the house of God, and now these words, of which God said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel I put my name forever. I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed for your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes and the rules given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray. Now we find that not only did Manasseh do the same things that the nations had done before him, now we're told in verse 9 that he did more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. It was worse. They had sunk to a depth that was more than the pagans around them. Those very people that God had removed from the land because of their wickedness. His wickedness excelled it. How worthy he was of judgment and of being abandoned and for the destruction of the nation. He did worse. He did worse.
1: One can only
0: imagine the kinds of atrocities that were performed in doing worse. I'd also like to point out to you that in his doing worse, it wasn't just in the actual activities that he engaged, but it was in the knowledge that he rejected. He
1: was worse for he knew better. He was worse for he was better informed. He was
0: worse for he knew the truth of God's word. He was worse for he was rebuked by God through his messengers. He was worse for he rejected God's word in a way in which the nations that were previous to him had not. They didn't have that privilege
1: that he had, like so many today,
0: that grew up in Christian homes but are not themselves Christians. And many times they they live, unfortunately, a a profligate life that's worse than a lot of other non-Christians live. They're more sinful in their conduct. Not only are they more sinful in their conduct, they're more responsible. In their sinfulness. Or they have heard the truth. They know better. They have been exposed. And yet they stand in need of repentance. Number two, the, the narration of Manasseh's repentance. Here we find the elements of true repentance, what true repentance looks like. Notice with me the steps if you will, in Manasseh's repentance. First, God brought consequences to Manasseh's wickedness. Verse 11, therefore, therefore, because of all this wickedness, because of all the things that he had done, therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains, and brought him to Babylon. That was not a prophesied event. That was an event that took place. That wasn't future. That happened in his lifetime as a result of consequence of his wickedness and his rejection. The Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Israel who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him. Historians tell us that he was actually, the hook was placed in his nose. A ring, if you will. As some animals have rings placed in their nose to lead them about. He had a a ring placed in his nose and there were those that walked before him with a hook that was attached to that ring and led him about. Wherever they wanted him to go. And he was drugged to Babylon with this hook in his nose. He was in chains. He was in a terrible and deplorable situation because of his sinfulness and his rebellion. As a result, there was sorrow for his sin. Verse 12, it says he was in distress. He was in distress. He was in real trouble and misery. Oftentimes, that is where people find themselves because of their sinfulness. And I purposefully chose that term, find themselves, for that is the place where they are at. That's where they find themselves. That's the situation they end up in. That's not what he expected. That was not the outcome that he was looking for. He didn't think that this false worship was going to result in the place where he ended up, namely Babylon with a nose ring and with chains. As it is so often in life, people end up in places they don't intend to be. They don't intend to be in prison. They don't intend to be addicted. They don't intend to have misery and heartache, but that is where their choices lead them.
1: There are a lot of people
0: today in great misery and hardship and heartache. But I say that is where he found himself, for that is not only the place where he was But he understood why he was there. He made the connection between his sinful practices, his character, his false worship, his rejection of God. He was able to make the line between his behavior, his conduct, his character, and now his imprisonment in Babylon. That is the grace of God. And unfortunately, so many times, people are not capable of making the connection between their choices and the outcomes. For instead of connecting the line between their choices and their outcomes, instead, they look and say... What bad luck that all these things happened to me. How, how unfortunate I am. The stars must not be on my side. They failed to recognize that actions have consequence, and part of it is, is because our society, our godless culture, is telling us we are not responsible for our actions and that you are not to blame for many of the situations in which you find yourself. Don't feel guilty because of where you are at, when in fact, often it is because of guilt. Not always,
1: but all too often. One needs
0: to acknowledge where sinfulness leads. In the miserable state, it's, it is. So in that miserable state, the second step to repentance is he desires God's mercy. Verse 12. It says, and when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God. He asked God to have mercy upon him. He knew that he was unworthy. He knew that he didn't deserve it. But he was asking God to have pity upon him. See him in his distress. And help him. There was a recognition of his sinfulness, verse 12. For it tells us the entreated favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. That idea of humbling himself greatly. He put himself under the authority of God. He acknowledged his sinfulness, his unworthiness, his unacceptability before God. He owned it. You see, sometimes people are sorry for their sin Not because they're sorry for the sin. They're sorry for where their sin has led them. But it is more than he was just sorry that there was a ring in his nose. It's more than he was just sorry that he's now lost his kingdom and is in Babylon. He's sorry for what he has done to the true God of heaven and earth. He's sorry that he has... Dishonored God and his temple. He is sorry. He recognizes the things that he has done, the turmoil of sacrificing his sons. And he humbles himself before God. And he seeks God's forgiveness. God grants that forgiveness. Verse 13. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea. God heard and God answered his prayer.
1: The scripture gives
0: us great promises. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we come before God in recognition of our sinfulness and cry out to Him who is a merciful God, He forgives. And He forgave Manasseh. And a new relationship to God is established at the end of verse 13. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was His God. Notice in verse 13, he prayed to him. God was moved by his entreaty, heard his plea, brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. What mercy, what grace! Restored him to the city, to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Now he's a vassal under Babylon, but nonetheless, he's back and there's no longer a ring in his nose. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And in that knowledge
1: of God is the fruit of true repentance.
0: Which is my third point this morning. First was the need. Second was the nature. Now it's, excuse me, it was the narration, now it's the nature or the fruit of Manasseh's repentance. What does true repentance look like? Well, first of all, A, Manasseh rid himself of the false gods that he previously worshiped. 2 Chronicles 33 15, 15. And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw outside the city. True repentance seeks a different life than what one was living. True repentance understands the authority of God, brings ourselves under his authority, wants to glorify him, understands the foolishness of living this sinful lifestyle, where it leads, and so it brings about a change in character and in conduct. He literally threw these. Idols outside of the city, formerly in the house of God, now they're cast away. In the New Testament, we find that people, when they believed, threw away that which contributed to their sinful practices. Acts 19, 18, and following. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. This treasure trove of
1: abominable books of magic were burned as an act of their repentance. I ask you this morning do you have books that need to be burned? Pictures that have to be deleted? Movies that have to be tossed, habits that need to be repented of. What changes need to be manifest as we pray and ask God to forgive us? These changes don't merit the forgiveness, they're the outcome. They're the product. They're the fruit.
0: There's a recognition. Not only do I not need these things, I don't want these things. No matter how much money I spent on this collection, (laughs) I need to get rid of
1: it. I need to get rid of it. Are there things you need to get rid of? You've asked God to forgive you. You've repented. What about the fruit?
0: It tells us that he turned to God. Verse 16. He also restored the altar of the Lord. It isn't just that he did away with false worship. Now he fully embraces true worship. True worship. The person who is truly saved, the person who truly repents, the person who truly has a relationship with God, now worships God. They go to church. They read the Bible. That is the fruit of repentance. They seek God. They worship God. He now becomes the focal point of life. He served God, verse 16, and offered on it sacrifices of peace, offerings, and thanksgiving. Application, here we see the very essence of true repentance. The faithful witness of the scriptures.
1: A person turns to God.
0: First Thessalonians 1.9 Speaking of the Thessalonians, it says this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. How, number one, you turn to God. Number two, from idols, this change in lifestyle that is consistent in the scriptures. And then thirdly, this aspect of serving God. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is. Let's look at the results of Manasseh's sincere and true repentance. First, he was a godly influence upon others, verse 16. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on the sacrifices of peace, offerings, and of thanksgiving... And now these words, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. 180 degrees. About face. Up until this point, he led the people
1: astray. Now,
0: in humility, in a willingness to acknowledge that he was wrong, in a willingness to say that he had led them in the wrong direction, now he is saying to these very same people
1: that you must follow the
0: commands of the God of Israel. Verse 17, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places over this qualifier, but only to the Lord their God. Had an impact. Had an impact.
1: Again, the grace of God. What the people
0: must have thought when they saw this king parted away with a nose ring, led, paraded through the streets as he experienced great defeat. Now to see this king come back, Restored,
1: but changed. That's the blessings
0: of true repentance. For people to see the change in our lives. To see what we once were and what we once did and what once happened to us is now so different. Because of the grace and goodness of God. There was an honest, candid representation of his life. Verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel and his prayer. And how God was moved by his entreaty. And all his sin and his faithlessness in the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself. There, there is not, you see, a covering. There, there is not hidden from view his sinfulness or his failures. Or it's important to understand his sinfulness and his failures, because ultimately the nation is going to be judged as we go down the line here. We acknowledge our past. We acknowledge our sinful condition. David is a supreme example in that, in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. He said, I confess my transgression to the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And he recounts his sinfulness. Lessons, lessons, lessons. Well, the first great lesson is all people stand in need of repentance. It isn't that you have to be the most wicked king.
1: Now it just so happens that he was.
0: But you don't have to be the most wicked person on the face of the earth to stand in need of repentance. For the Bible teaches us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us is guilty. The wages of sin is death.
1: Every person
0: needs to repent. Every individual on the face of this earth
1: needs, needs to repent.
0: Acts 17.30. The Apostle Paul proclaimed on Mars Hills these words, God commands all people everywhere to repent. There isn't a person here who is without Christ who doesn't need to repent. Secondly, God can and does save those who turn their backs on their teaching of their parents. Let me say that again. God can and does save those who have turned their backs on the teaching of their parents. Maybe you're here this morning, but you're here in body only, and in mind, you have already rejected the things that we say from this pulpit and the things that you've been taught by your family. Maybe you're visiting
1: for whatever reason, and Long ago, you turned your back on the things of God, as Kaia did, and yet God forgives. God can restore.
0: God grants repentance to those who have turned their backs on what they have been taught, even from being a child. That also should be a great encouragement and comfort to parents who have children that have gone astray. Don't give up on them. Don't think they have wandered so far that they can't come back, or they've done such things that now they're outside of the pale of God's grace or God's mercy. God can save your wayward child. God can and does save those who have rejected the true worship of God, even those that have joined cults. Even those that have been involved in satanic practices.
1: Even those that have followed the most
0: heinous leaders engaged in Terrible acts of false worship.
1: Those individuals are not outside of the pale of the grace of God. God can and does forgive such people.
0: God can and does save people no matter what they have done. Manasseh even offered his sons as human sacrifices. The false gods.
1: And yet God forgave them. Forgave the sacrifice of his sons on the altar of false gods. I have a phone call that I will never forget.
0: It was a number of years ago now. person called me on the phone i answered said hello said this is pastor reed and this woman said to me she said pastor you don't know me said you've never met me that i have never met you but she said i've heard that you're a man of god and i have heard that you know the bible
1: she said i have one question for you she said I had an abortion. Can God ever forgive me? And she wept. I said, He most certainly can and does. And I went to this very passage to share with her. The good news of a God who grants forgiveness, who gives grace, who heals and restores. And then she said, I have prayed often for forgiveness. And I said, then you're forgiven. You need to understand that you
0: are forgiven. God in his grace forgives us things that even are hard for us to forgive.
1: And maybe you're here this morning and you can't forgive yourself. What you've done to someone or, or
0: to a person you've loved or you're just in misery and heartache. Not only can you not forgive yourself, but you're asking the question, is it really true that God can forgive me? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. Because he sent his
1: son to die on the cross for all sins sins.
0: Whatever sin that I have committed, when I trust in my Savior, his blood
1: removes it. It's gone. I am restored. Whosoever shall call upon the name of of the Lord, will be saved.
0: I implore you this morning, if you've never, ever trusted Jesus as your Savior, that you place your faith and trust in him, that you acknowledge your need to repent, and indeed you would repent, that you would ask God for forgiveness, that you would place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he would manifest the fruit of that repentance as a desire to live a a different life and and to glorify God. And this morning, maybe you're a child of God. And yet you still ask yourself, am I really forgiven? Will God really take away my sin? 1 John 1.9 is written to believers. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a God who forgives. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for you being a God who grants mercy and forgiveness. A God who enables us to repent. A God who commands us, all men, everywhere, to repent. And if we do, salvation is ours. So I ask, is there anyone here this morning who knows that they need to be repentant, they know that they need to receive Christ as their Savior? Would you simply raise your hand? I won't pray for you publicly, but just to... Know that God is doing a work in your life and I can be praying for you and encourage you, anyone at all. Lord, I pray for us as a people, we who commit the the same sin repeatedly, who struggle with repentance in certain areas of our lives. Lord, help us to have more victory. Help us to have a greater love for you, a greater hatred for evil, a greater awareness of the devastation that our sin does to our families, how destructive it is, in Manasseh's case, even to the point of taking his own children's lives, how selfish our sinfulness is, and Lord, how dishonoring it is to you Oh Lord, help us. Help us to manifest the fruit of repentance. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As our brother comes, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And I don't have time this morning to tell you except that the author of Amazing Grace was once the master of a slave ship. And he thought of all the atrocities that he had done as he was the master of the slave ship and the slaves that had died, the misery that he had brought upon them, and the wickedness that he had done. And when he came to faith, he was amazed at the grace and goodness of God and wrote, wrote this great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That saves a Wretch Like Me.